Hi, and welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church Podcast. We want to thank you for joining us online and remind you to feel free to visit our website at seacoastvineyard.com anytime for up-to-date information on our local church here in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. If you would like to give financially to this ministry, whether that's a one-time gift or a recurring monthly gift, simply click on the Give tab at our website and give however God leads you. Now, we want you to enjoy this message from God's Word. Merry Christmas, everybody. I do appreciate you guys uh, welcoming uh, Lucas a couple weeks ago. Lucas Granger, our church plant, you guys uh, welcomed him, and uh, he was elated. He was like, they really love me. They really did. And I'm like, they do. They do, Lucas. They love you. Uh, for those of you who don't know, we planted a church about an hour from here, or 50 minutes or so up in what we affectionately call Shalate, North Carolina, uh, Shalote, North Carolina. And Lucas has been going about three years up there. We exchanged pulpits. I went up to his church and preached. He came here and he preached. And then last week, Doug, our own Doug, where are you, Doug? I saw you walk. Doug did a wonderful job, absolutely wonderful job, uh, on a difficult Sunday, on a Sunday when there was such bad news uh, to have to deal with. So thank you, Doug. Thank you, church. Uh, Thank you, Lucas, if you're listening or watching this. And uh, thank you for having a good time at your church. Hey, have any of you guys tried to chase down your family tree? Have any of you guys uh, done this? There's like Ancestry.com. Uh, nobody, is, do we have anybody in here? You have somebody famous in your, uh, your lineage? Do you? Anybody? You do? Who's, who's famous, Kim? The Three Stooges? All three of them? Wow. <laughs> I had somebody in the first service tell me after the sermon that uh, Stonewall Jackson was one of his, uh, was in his family tree, but he also had the two most famous prostitutes from New York in his family tree. <laughs> from the 20s. I was like, see, there you go. Uh, you know, that's... That's the way it goes. In many cultures, the family tree is very important. You trace back uh, kind of a royal line. And uh, in our culture, not so much anymore, even though this Ancestry.com thing, I think, has started to stimulate that just a little bit. My daughter, she started texting me a couple of weeks ago, and she started asking all these questions. Dad, who's her great-grand, you know, your great-granddad? Who's this and who's that? And I said, why do you want to know all this? You've never been interested before. And uh, she says, well, I'm on Ancestry.com, you know, and I'm, I'm going to trace down our family tree. And I think she's finally ready to embrace, you know, her redneck tradition. She's finally, finally found peace, you know, with her southern twang and now has embraced it and is trying to chase it all the way back to Ireland where our kin came from. To the ancient Jews, uh, genealogy was very important. Uh, when we read this book we call the Bible, the people who lived this out, the family tree was all important. Uh, and it still is very important, even though we may not give much credit to it these days. Uh, when we do premarital counseling, one of the questions I, I, I used, I don't do much premarital counseling, my wife does now, but when I did a lot of it years past, one of the questions I always ask was, how do you like your in-laws? 
and how do you like their family? And you get different, you know, you get different takes. Some people would go, well, you know, they're okay, but I'm not marrying them. You did just like the first service. Yeah, that means I know there's some people been married in here a few years. And, uh, or I, I, they're okay, I, I'm not marrying them, or I love them, or no, we're, we're going to build a life separate from them. We don't want to have anything. We don't want to, you know, we don't want to be a part of that bloodline. We don't want to. And, uh, but anybody that works with people, you know that it's not that easy. It's not that easy to separate yourself from your DNA and from your history. I, I think it's a miraculous thing that people we don't know and never met have such a bearing in our lives many times because things come out of our life, we find out good, bad, and the ugly uh, that we have been in our family tree maybe for some time. The thing is, we didn't have any choice about our family, did we? Not a single one of you got to choose what family you were born into. Uh, and some of us, in all honesty and with sincerity of heart, some of us wish we had had some choice. We wish that things had been a little different for some of us, but we didn't. We were born to the family that we were born to. We come to Christmas time, the last Sunday in Advent here, right before we celebrate the coming of that baby Jesus who became the king. And in his genealogy, in the book of Matthew, we find some very fascinating individuals. What I find amazing is that God chose to place himself in this family tree. We had no choice, but to me, I read some of these names in here, and I go, God, you could have done something differently. There are some names on this list where I'm not so sure if I was you, I would have chosen to have those in my earthly family tree. So we're going to take a look at being born to a dysfunctional family, and uh, some of us may be able to relate to that, but we're going to uh, take a look at the first, Matthew, uh, first chapter in Matthew, the first 17 verses. Let me pray, and we'll jump into this. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for this time of the year when we go back to the beginning, when we see when you clothed yourself, became human, came to this earth, veiled in flesh, humbled yourself, brought you, you brought yourself into uh, our race, into our time, into our humanity, Lord. Holy Spirit, I ask for you to come and breathe life on your word, put life on it, help me in my weakness, and uh, I pray for your gift of teaching this morning. I pray that the, truly the message of Christmas would come through clear from this chapter in the book of Matthew this morning. Jesus, we are awed, and we are grateful, and we are thankful, and we are hopeful, and we celebrate the arrival of the King, King Jesus, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, the, gospel, the first chapter of uh, Matthew, the first 17 verses, is kind of like the Ancestry.com report that you would get if you... If you asked for it to be filled out all those slots and then you printed it out. So we're going to read this. And uh, guys, hang in there with me on this, okay? Because you look at these names and you go, why, why, why? It's like when you read through the Bible in a year and you get to all those names back over here. And then you get to this beget, 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 you know. And you go, why, God? Why put this in the Bible? Hang with me, okay? Here we go. Matthew 1, verse 1. 
This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amenadab, Amenadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. Excuse me. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram. Jehoram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Ammon. Ammon, the father of Josiah. And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers in the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel. Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, the father of Abihud. Abihud, the father of Eliakim. Eliakim, the father of Azor. Azor, the father of Zadok. Zadok, the father of Akim. Akim, the father of Elihud. Elihud, the father of Eleazar. Eleazar, the father of Mathan. Mathan, the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Thus there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. These numbers are very important, and it was a way for the Jewish people to memorize Scripture and to be able to memorize their heritage so they could go back to it. So that's why the numbers are are really important and why they state it this way. Um, Whenever I work with young people, church planners, many times the first sermon I will give them to preach to me is this section of scripture, and they all go, what? They look at all these names, and they go, you're going to make me preach a sermon? You actually want me to talk about this for 20 minutes, 25 minutes? And I'm like, yeah, go to it. And they all just scratch their head. And, uh, but to me, this portion of scripture is some of the most beautiful information we will ever get. This is a part of the good news of Jesus right here in these first 17 verses of Matthew, the first chapter of Matthew. N.T. Wright says this about these names. He says, Like a great procession coming down a city street, we watch the figures at the front and the ones in the middle, but all eyes are waiting for the one who comes in the position of greatest honor right at the end. And no Jewish person during this period of time who read this would not have been impressed in in a few ways. We're here at the last Sunday of, of Advent and I think of the song that we sing often, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. In Advent, we see the church as kind of Israel, that Jesus is coming and he's saving And he's creating this church. Another thing that happens during this period of time is we ask this question, where are you, God? How long? When will it be that you arrive? When are you coming? How long is it going to take? And I think after the situation from last week, there are a lot of people asking that question. God, why? How long is it going to be until you show up? And then here we are at Christmas. You've got 
a fill-in in your handout that you can track along with me this morning if you'd like. There's a pen, I think, that you were given as well. And I just want to point out three things from this section of Scripture this morning as we begin to celebrate Christmas. The birth of Jesus Christ into this dysfunctional family tree shouts to the world, and your first feeling is this, the faithfulness of God. The faithfulness of God. We start off with Abraham, who is on this list. And do you remember what he was promised, that he would have a family? He got older and older and older, and there were no children, no children, no children. And instead of God giving a way out or letting him off the hook, he basically says, hey, you're going to have so many kids, it'll be more than the stars in the sky. You got to love God, you know. It's like, can't you at least be reasonable, God? I mean, why does it have to be so grandiose with you? It's like, well, I'm like 90 years old, God. You don't understand. It's just not going to happen. No, you don't, you don't get it. You're going to have more kids. There's going to be more in your family tree than the sands on the beach. Any of you guys try to count sand? Just, just, go down, just go down to the beach and pick up one handful and start trying to count it. And, of course, Abraham is where we get the beginning of the covenant, the beginning of that family tree that feeds right on into to Jesus and actually on into his church and to us. And then we have King David. David. Messiah would come and be known as the son of David. God's faithfulness to Abraham to bring a great number of children. I mean, look, you're here today. This is a, you're part of the children. You're part of the promise. King David comes along. The Messiah is going to have to have King David in his lineage to fulfill this prophecy. God is faithful to finish what he starts and to do what he says. 2 Samuel 7, 16 says, Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. How could that happen? Jesus traces his family right on back to King David. There will always be someone on the throne. Oh, David was promised. Jesus pointing to Christ. David was the priest he was the prophet. He was the worship leader, the king, the warrior. All of this wrapped up into Jesus himself, pointing toward the day when Messiah would come. And in this list, which I am very grateful for, are good kings and bad kings. And, you know, God just does not seem to be embarrassed by having some bad people in this lineage. You have had someone come up to you and ask you, uh, hey, are you kin to... And, they, and you know where they're going with it. You know, and you, you go, oh, no. I, you know, that's my cousin 49 times removed. Uh, don't know him. Uh, one of these things where you just don't tell people that that's a part of your lineage. God doesn't seem to have a problem with that. He breaks into the middle of this broken world, and he includes the good, the bad, and the ugly in that heritage. You know, God did not wait for us to get it right before he came. God broke into the middle of the failures and the successes and all of them. It's like if this was a bloodline here, instead of cutting it and saying, I'm just going to cut this bloodline, he wraps his arm around the bloodline and he pulls our sinfulness and he pulls our failures and our successes into himself. And he says, now I'm going to make you a part of what I am. He includes himself in this lineage. I mean, good kings, bad kings. 
don't you hate it when people with perfect families come up to you and talk to you? And they just brag. Everything is perfect. You guys know people like that? Yeah, I mean, they come up to you. They come up to you and go, oh, you know, my kids are this, 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 this. And we've never had a problem. No failures, not blah, 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 blah. And you're thinking, what's wrong with me? What's wrong? God's not like that. He's just like, oh, yeah, let me tell you some of the people that are in here. And I, I can't get it. I can't quite get it figured out yet after all of these years why we can't have this formula for making it just right. Like if you do A, A will lead to B, B will lead to C, C will lead to D. But it's chaos theory, isn't it? I mean, there are too many variables. The more variables you add to that A, B, C, D, the more complicated it gets and the more unpredictable it is. And even in this lineage, what we have here Jehoshaphat, we read about him. He's a good king. He's a good man. He has a son named Jehoram who is a bad king. And then we get to Jothan. Jothan is a good king. He fears God, but he has a son named Ahaz who is a bad king. (laughs) Then Ahaz has a son named Hezekiah who is a wonderful, faithful, pious man of God. But he has a son named Manasseh, and Manasseh is a bad king and leads Judah and all into... Baal worship, which is pagan worship. Good, bad, good, bad. And we sit back and go, what have I done wrong? And God says, come here. Wraps his arm around that bloodline, pulls it into himself in Jesus Christ, and makes you a part of something so much grander and bigger than you've ever realized you were invited into. Your family tree has the good, the bad, and the ugly in it, I bet. I bet it does. And so does Jesus. Yet he's faithful. He's faithful to come, to give his life a ransom for many. These names scream to us the faithfulness of God. So the birth of Jesus Christ into this dysfunctional family tree shouts of the faithfulness of God. And it also shouts of the justice of God. That's your second fill-in. The justice of God. Excuse me. As impressed as many on this list, impressive as many as are on this list to a Jewish person, there are some people on here that uh, the Jewish royalty, the Jewish people of that day would have been shocked to have seen. And that is, there are women on this list. (laughs) (laughs) Hallelujah. <clears throat> yeah, that's right. Uh, during this period, of, <clears throat> man, ah, congestion here. During this period of time, what we may not realize is that women were not just second-class, uh, you know, people. But they they were like property. During this period of time, of let's say I lived back then and I came home and Karen had cooked a meal I didn't like and I was just tired of it. I'd pull out a piece of paper and write, I divorce you, hand it to her, and she was out on the street immediately. No money, nothing, no place to go. You're out, you're gone, you're out of here. Many of the young girls that were born during this period of time, if a family didn't have enough boys to carry on the lineage, the name they would take when the baby girls were born and kill them. They didn't want a lot of girls. They wanted more of the boys, the boys. And yet Jesus comes along, and in his lineage, we have five women listed in this. Of course, the last is Mary, his mom. 
his earthly mom. Jesus brings justice. And I'm mentioning women because women are mentioned in these 17 verses. Over in the 12th chapter, we read, Here is my servant whom I have chosen. And Father is speaking of Jesus. The one I love and whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. And then he says this beautiful metaphor, this picture, a bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Those whom justice has not come to who are bruised and broken and about to fall off the stem, those whose light of hope are about to go out. Jesus has not come to put that light out. He has come to give you more light. He will not put the light out or break the stem off till he leads justice to victory. In his name, the nations will put their hope. It is no mistake that there are five women listed in this because this would not have been normal practice for a Jewish family tracing their family tree back. The NIV commentary says that when women were included, there was some particular reason why when we see it listed. And I hope you realize, dear sisters, that Jesus Christ is the best friend and the best advocate you will ever, ever have. He has come to free you to be everything God ever intended for you to be. The same Spirit that lives in any man, Holy Spirit, lives in you. The same gifts, there is no different Holy Spirit for a woman than there is a man. Jesus has come to bring justice and to liberate the captives, to free those male and female, to be everything that he ever intended for them to be. Put a big smile on your face, ladies, because the baby is born and justice has come. William Webb, a theologian that I really love to read, another one, I know I say that about all of them, but um, (laughs) I only have maybe four or five I really like, but William Webb, he has a term that he calls redemptive movement. How in the scriptures you can watch the redemptive movement of God's liberation and justice for women is one. And he mentions the slave issue too and how God has worked from the beginning to liberate that, to free that whole issue. And how there is redemptive movement even in the Old Testament as you see Deborah and it moves on. It's slow, yes, and it moves slowly, slowly, slowly. And then we get to the Gospels and we get to Jesus and we read in his lineage lineage, five women here as Jesus comes to bring justice. Scripture says, I will pour out of my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Hallelujah for the old men being included there. Justice. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. Acts 2 and Joel 2. Jesus is bringing and setting the captives free, bringing the captives into a place of liberty and freedom where they can be everything that he always intended them to be. And in this list of women are not just the goody-two-shoe women. I mean, I'll just mention a few here. There's Tamar. 
Now, I have to tell you, if I was going to list out my family tree, I would not put Tamar in there. This is one of these people you go like, let's just don't bring Tamar up, okay? If you get in the family gathering, you're showing the pictures. You know, if there's any pictures of Tamar, let's get them out of there. Let's slide them away. Let's put them somewhere where nobody can see them. Because you see, Tamar, she lost her husband, her father-in-law. And in, in this culture, let me just say this, in this culture that when a woman would lose her husband, the father-in-law, she would look to a brother of the husband that she lost to come in. That was part of the responsibility, to come in and take the responsibility up. Well, her father-in-law promised her the youngest brother, like, yes, he can marry you, but he kept putting it off, putting it off, putting it off. Tamar's getting older and older and older, maybe because she was a Canaanite, maybe because she wasn't a part of that group, because she was kind of like a interracial marriage of sorts in that, and maybe because she was not what Judah had wanted, maybe he was dissing her to the point to where he was hoping she would give up eventually. But Tamar was persistent and a little devious. So what did she do? She dresses up like a prostitute, and she tricks her father-in-law into having sex with her, and she gets pregnant. He doesn't recognize her. He doesn't know that that's his daughter-in-law until the day she exposes him. Now, would you put that person in your lineage? I mean, really? Would you say, oh, Tamar, I remember Tamar. No, let's don't remember Tamar. (laughs) For some reason, Jesus has no problem embracing those that we want to distance ourselves with. Tamar. Who would want that weirdo in there? I mean, come on. Then there's Rahab. I mean, Rahab, Gentile, in the city of Jericho. You may know the story. The spies go in. You know, the spy it out. Rahab, not only is a Gentile, but she is a prostitute. She's beautiful. She's wealthy. She sees the spies. She knows what's going on. She even recognizes that God is powerful and at work. And so Rahab brings them in, shelters them, hides them. And if you go back and read the story, you read of this scarlet thread. Do you remember this story? How the scarlet thread was hung out the window so that if Israel would see that scarlet thread. Now, has anything been lost on you, the scarlet thread? As we make our way toward Easter after this, the scarlet thread that saved Rahab and her family, nobody can make this stuff up. There is no way in the world somebody could take this, synchronize all these many authors over all these hundreds and thousands of years, lace it together, and all of these years later see this scarlet thread and the blood of Jesus and how that saves us in the picture from the Old Testament pointing toward the coming of the Son of God and our redemption. She hangs out. She is saved, her family and herself. So we have a Tamar. We have a Rahab there in this family lineage, but we do have a good woman, a woman named Ruth, a very good woman, a wonderful woman. But she's a Moabitess. And I mean, she couldn't help that she was a Moabitess. That's who she was born to. Did you know in order to be a part of a congregation, if you were a Moabite, in order to be a part of a Jewish congregation, you had to prove 10 generations of purity. Ten generations before you could be received into that family of faith. 
I am so grateful that when Jesus came and when he died, he tore the rent, he rent the the, the curtain that was hanging between the presence of God, the Holy of Holies, he rent it from the top to the bottom and he took it and turned it into a welcome mat and threw it out and said, any who are broken, any who are thirsty, come. All who are thirsty, come. Come. But Ruth was faithful and God used her. Jesus makes her a part of his royal line. You know, there's no seconds, there's no back seats with Jesus. There's none. The birth of Jesus Christ into this dysfunctional family tree shouts of the faithfulness of God, the justice of God, and the last one here is the salvation of God. Don't you love singing that song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and Ransom Captive Israel? Then we rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. What do we need for Christmas more than anything? We need salvation. We need salvation. And I, I, I have to say this to you with all affection. Maybe you walked a church aisle 25 years ago, 30 years ago, and you signed a piece of paper. You joined a church and you thought, is that it? That's it. Now my name is on some roll and everything is fine. Did you know the scripture teaches us that we are saved? There's a point in time when we have this exchange where Jesus drafts us and we respond to it and he takes us and we become his and his presence, his Holy Spirit comes into our lives. But it also teaches that we are being saved right now. And we will be saved. You know, we need to be saved right now. My family needs to be saved right now. Tim Holt needs to be saved right now. There needs to be more of God taking more property in my life than he's had before. If we need anything for Christmas, we need salvation. We need it. And in Jesus, he offers it. Look at the 16th verse in our text today, Matthew 1, 16. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called what? The Messiah, the Savior. At the end of all the failures, at the end of all the successes, at the end of all of this comes a Savior because that's what we need more than anything, a Savior. Verse 20 in Matthew 1 says, But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. He will save you from your sins. We need a Savior more than we need anything for Christmas. What did the Isaacs, the Jacobs, the Tamars, the Rahabs, the Ruths, the Ahaz, the Holtz, what do we need more than anything? I need salvation. And Christmas is the arrival of salvation. I want to say this again. If you do not have an active, ongoing presence of God in your life, you need salvation. 
You need it today. What an insult for us to go to God and write some, fill out some paper and drop it in a basket somewhere and walk off and go back to our life and to say that's all that Jesus came for. He came to change us, to save us, to save us from ourselves, to save us from one another, to save us from the horror that we have seen in the last week, to save us to himself. And that is what's offered in Jesus. Theologian Michael Green, there's another one, at the very beginning of the God, here's his quote, at the very beginning of the gospel, the all-embracing love of God is emphasized. Nothing can stand in its path. There is nobody who does not need it. I bet you can find yourself in this family tree at some place. But don't leave your family tree till you get to verse 16 and verse 17. Make sure verse 16 and verse 17 of Matthew 1 is in your family tree today. Because we need that more than we need anything. Let's pray. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast from Seacoast Vineyard Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. We look forward to you joining us next time on iTunes or at our website, www.seacoastvineyard.com.